0: Father in heaven, we pray your Holy Spirit will be with us today because I think this is uh, there's something important for us to become aware of, both in ourselves and in the way we treat one another and are with each other. I thank you that uh, Dr. Hamilton can be with us here today, and I pray you'll be with us in this time and that you will lead and uh, take this conversation where you need it to go and where we need it to go as a, as a as a congregation here today. In Jesus name, amen. Amen. So I'm here joined by Dr. Ted Hamilton. Now, we use that term doctor for a lot of different kinds of things. So just so we're clear on it, tell us what was it, what degree was it you did that made you a doctor? So that we're clear on that point. So that was an MD, uh, granted by Loma Linda University in 1973. All right, so, so originally studied as a medical doctor. Now you know, let's just kind of get into this story here. Uh, you've been a part of this church for a little while now. How long have you been here, and uh, what what brought you here ultimately? I
1: I think it's probably a dozen years. I've kind of lost count, but about that and. Um, we my wife and I have actually been members of three other churches in Orlando over the years, Crest Memorial for a time, and Florida Hospital Church for quite some time, Markham Woods for several years, and um, we just wanted to try this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, he's been here 10, 12 years, something like that. You should know that Ted was a, a key part of the search committee, the pastoral search committee that ultimately brought me here. So if you have any complaints with me, take them to Ted, and uh, he'll be glad to address any issues that might arise. So no, I've appreciated the way that Ted and, uh, and Don Williams, who was the chair of that committee, and also Bob Hendersheet, played a key role in that process, the way they've stayed invested in me uh, as a leader in this community uh, really since then. Uh, we've met many times since then, and and you have been blessed because of the investment they have made uh, into me and into my being successful here. So so I've got that personal connection with you but uh, the rest of the congregation may or may not know you. So let's do a little background here. Uh, where did you come from? How did you get where you were? And where did that accent come from that you have? So,
1: so my, my roots go pretty deep into Florida sand. My, my dad was born in the Panhandle, uh, grew up in a little place called Two Egg. I doubt that many of you have been through Two Egg, it's pretty small. Um, but but he, was, um, he came to Forest Lake Academy during the Depression and actually lived in a tent on, on the grounds of the academy. It was during hard times for most everybody, but he milked cows to, and went to school and, uh, and then ultimately, right before graduation, he was called into the Navy. And then, after the war, came back, married my mom, whom he had met at Forest Lake Academy, and they came back here to work. Hmm. And that's when I was born in a little hospital called Orange Memorial in those days. Today, it's Orlando Health. Hmm. And, um, but I didn't grow up here. Uh, after about a year or so, they moved to Birmingham, which was my mom's home and where I learned to talk, and it's marked
0: me for life. <laughs> All right, so, so there's an interesting point there, and I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the role that the Adventist school system plays in so many lives, uh, really if we had time to just tell the stories from in this room, um, there'd be so many stories to tell, but uh, it's been an amazing blessing to this church. And it continues to be a blessing today. Forest Lake Education Center and Forest Lake Academy, and then, uh, uh, well, Nathan and Zach both go to Andrews University, and that's why they're there. Gable is at Advent Health University, Uh, and uh, Aaron's plan right now is to be at Southern next year. But, but these places uh, that that we go that educate and prepare us—it's it's an interesting example. You know, I think if you were alive in the 1920s and there was uh, and you were facing the depression but you wanted down the road your family to prosper I think the best decision you could have made well uh, would have been to become uh, a part of this church was this Adventist church and commit yourself to send your kids through Adventist education because this is what happens at the end of the road you, they end up doctors down the road it doesn't matter where you started and that story is told and retold within uh, this Adventist community again and again, and what a blessing uh, these schools have been to us and Of course, we as a church are very invested in education at all of those levels, and I think it 's a good investment for us so uh, so bear that in mind, uh, it makes a difference on outcome. It was at a at a Shenandoah Valley Academy, I met the lovely Alicia, so that mm-hmm. uh, was a very good thing for me so all right so so you are doctor. Uh, you came through all of this, uh, the, the early part of your story you told us. Why did you decide to be a doctor? Boy,
1: I, I didn't, really. Um, it just happened. That's unusual. I, 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 I didn't have a burning desire to be a doctor, actually. I, I thought, I, but I would take pre, the pre-med courses. And if I did well enough, I'd apply to medical school. And if not, I would, I would happily teach or Going to the ministry or I, I, so, but I did well and, and got accepted to Loma Linda, and,
0: and here I am. So, some people just like torture and difficulty, and you <laughs> seem to be in that class. That's not easy to go through there, but that's interesting how the Lord leads us down roads. But the rest of your life makes a little more sense in the context of that initial starting point. So, what, where did you go once you graduated? So, graduated from Loma Linda,
1: and we got in our little Dodge Dart six-cylinder and drove back east and then south to Orlando, where I was born, and I did my family practice training at what was then Florida Hospital.
0: So, really big, lots of towers, and... (laughs) Three
1: floors, (laughs) one hospital, three floors. Actually, Altamont, I think it opened one year before. And uh, Apopka came along just about the same time. So pretty soon it was three hospitals. But the main one downtown was not 15 stories. It, it was a pretty good-sized hospital, 300 beds or so, mm-hmm. but, but just three stories.
0: So it's been pretty remarkable for you over the years to see what's taken place in this area. Unbelievable. Yeah. Truly unbelievable. All right, so you're there for a little while, but then you left the area why did you leave what were you doing so I finished my internship and still didn't
1: know what I wanted to do Um, but my wife saw a little ad in in a medical journal that said doctor-deprived area and if you'll go practice in a government-designated doctor-deprived area for three years the government will pay 85 percent of your med school bills That's what we did, and that's what they did. We ended up staying almost six years. So where did you go? little tiny mountain town in western North Carolina, the westernmost county, Cherokee County in North Carolina.
0: About 20 doctors?
1: Yeah, right. Um, Three. Three. There were two doctors who had served together in the Second World War and had been there ever since, and then I showed up. So we took call every third night and every third weekend, and... Covered the emergency department because we didn't have ER docs and delivered the babies and and we didn't have a call system either. The call system was the telephone at your bedside and it rang every hour of the night and um, and it was wonderful and it was hard.
0: Yeah. So went went thinking three stayed for six. Where were you at the end of six?
1: At the end of six. Um, My wife said, this isn't going to work indefinitely. And I closed my practice. And there was no one to sell it to, I just closed the practice. And we ended up back at Florida Hospital. They needed someone to teach in that same residency I'd been through. So they offered me a job to teach, which was great and I loved it. And the director of the program at that time took a call to the mission field after I'd been there three months. And out of desperation, more than anything else, they offered me the opportunity to direct that residency. And, and I did that for seven years. It was a very enriching experience. Incredibly fulfilling, and I would never have guessed it. I, I thought that I would have simply practiced medicine the rest of m- my career and life. But, but I really enjoyed the administrative part of that role and so in order to figure out how to do it better I went back to school at Rollins College and did an MBA at Rollins and since then my career has been largely a combination of administrative and clinical medicine until a dozen or so years ago when I really just quit practicing clinically it's hard to keep up with everything
0: so So you had that experience as a doctor yourself and and the, the reality of that life, the relentlessness of that life. Then you were back training the residents who were coming in, bringing them along. Ultimately, you ended up in another area. And this was a few years ago, not what you're doing today, but a few years ago. You got a chance to focus back on the people who are living that life you knew. What What were you doing and what did your insights from before, how did that help you in that role? So I had left Florida Hospital
1: and moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where our children and more importantly, grandchildren lived. Mm-hmm. And, um, and was working for the state with their Medicaid program when Tom Werner, who was at that time president of what is now Advent Health, um, called me and said, you know, we try to make our mission in this town and in our healthcare system practical and meaningful. But he said, we've never been intentional, we've never really invested in trying to help doctors embrace our mission. So he said, if that idea intrigues you, go home and write a job description. So I did. And the truth is, I don't think either Tom nor I knew really what we were talking about. And there wasn't a lot of guidance. There wasn't anything in the medical literature that told us how to go about this job of, of engaging doctors with mission. So I visited all of our hospitals and I talked to doctors and I talked to administrators and I talked to chief nursing officers and chief spiritual officers, the head chaplains. And I asked them all the same question. I just said, tell me about doctors in your hospital. What, what's going on in their lives? And I came back to talk with Tom and I said, Tom, doctors are really unhappy. Hmm. Just kind of across the board. Not just unhappy about something that went wrong yesterday, they are fundamentally, systemically unhappy, disheartened with practices, discouraged about the future, and not knowing where to turn. I said, if we're going to ever have a chance to engage doctors with mission, we must find a way to fill their cups because they're pretty dry so that formed my work for the last dozen or 14 years up until the last two years uh, which we're going to touch on in a few minutes um, trying to help deal with the issue of physician burnout today we know based on good solid research that of the 800,000 practicing physicians in this country about half, 400,000 or so are experiencing symptoms of burnout Uh, unhappy with their jobs not being fulfilled in their work. And today, today, somewhere in this country, a doctor will commit suicide. Mm. Mm. And tomorrow and the next day, about 400 a year in our country. That's that's enough for two or three graduating classes from a good-sized school of medicine. It takes that many to fill the slots by doctors who take Mm. their lives. So it's a big issue, and today it's... It's uh, well, well um, attributed in the medical literature and, and in the popular literature as well. So Wall Street Journal and New York Times and CNN all have featured this issue of physician burnout. It's an important one, and, and we're struggling as a profession,
0: as a discipline, to know what to do about it. So what you're suggesting here, if I'm hearing you right, is that having a prestigious job... A well-paid position, a lot of respect—just those things in themselves is not enough to make a life good. No,
1: <laughs> it's it's the most amazing thing, frankly. And you you have um, enumerated the the privileges and and the things that accrue to a doctor's life, but but there's something else and in our work with doctors I've come to learn that it's incredibly important and that's it when something's broken it's a doctor's spirit that's broken it's about spirituality Mm -hmm. it really is Mm -hmm. at the core I mean it is hard work and and government regulation and bureaucracy are huge and there's all sorts of pressures on, on doctors but it's it's that spiritual grounding that, that is the preventive against burnout. And, and we, we've worked hard to try to figure out how we can help doctors come to an appreciation of the importance of the spiritual element in their lives and, and
0: help to restore that. So we have a tendency. We get caught in, in mindsets. So we think, all right, It's a doctor, I'm going there to get a physical thing addressed. And it'd be easy for the doctor to get it in the mindset that, yes, this person has a whole life, but they're only here to see me about this physical condition. That's not how it is, is it? There's more to every story. There's more to the doctor and there's more to the patient than just that little encounter over the fact that I nearly cut my finger off earlier in the day. Yeah. It may,
1: be, it may be a cut finger, or it may be a migraine headache, or it may be persistent allergies. But above and around and, and foundational to all of that, other things are going on in people's lives, too. There are financial issues, there are family issues, there are um, issues of how am I going to deal with what I know I'm facing tomorrow. And, and those all uh, impact our ability to get better, to be whole, to um, experience fulfillment in life.
0: So let's roll back for just a second here. We talked about the track of your training to be a a medical doctor, and then you added the business piece in there. But there's another piece that, that keeps coming up in what you're talking about, and that's the spiritual side. Where did that sense grow in you, your understanding of the need of that, and, and the places where you experienced even in your own life that, that, that addressed your spiritual needs.
1: So, so I tell people I've I really had no choice about, about Adventism. I, I was just born into it. It wasn't something I consciously chose, it was my reality. Um, I, I, I imbibed it with mother's milk. Mm-hmm. I, so, so that was always a part of it, but, but what as I, as I grew into adulthood and, and figured out that I had to make a decision whether to buy this for myself, the one thing that has been a continual thread in my life from, really from teenage years on, is, is Sabbath school, frankly. Um, I've been part of and, and taught Sabbath School for 40 years or more, and and it's not just about teaching Bible or doctrine or it it's a it's about a community of belief that comes together week after week with with the fundamental question of what about this God that we serve? What, what kind of God is it? And, and, and who are we in relation to that God? I mean, that's really the question
0: that we come back to week after week after week. So, so you got involved in teaching and it's, it's, it's kept going. And by the way, you should know he's a teacher of one of our Sabbath schools here now, the Grace and Truth class. Uh, that meets at 10 o'clock down in the Gift and Thrift, um, which uh, in the context of this, the good news, you all will probably be allowed to move over here to the other building once we get the children's wing done. But I just, I just want to push down on that point for just a minute that, that there is a certain amount of quality spiritual experience that takes place when we gather in this room. We sing hymns. We, uh, we hear words that inspire us, our, uh, our hearts are stirred sometimes to make decisions, but we can't have that, that interactive component, that engagement component that can take place. I don't have time to ask you, how are you, how's your life, please share with the rest of the congregation. Not because you don't matter, but because we would be here all afternoon and through the evening if we did that. And understanding that to be reality, we need to understand in our minds that, that yes, I am so glad you come to the worship service, and I encourage you to do so. It It is an important part of your religious experience, but it's not the whole of it. And I want to suggest to you within this community, the people who feel the most linked in and connected and a part of what's going on are not just the ones who come to the service, but the ones who have found a place into one of the Sabbath schools here that takes place on a consistent basis each Sabbath morning. It's key, and we're gonna come to in a minute one of the reasons why that is, and that's something that you've been working with recently, but I just wanna make you aware of the importance of that and how important people like Dr. Ted and so many of the other teachers that we have are to the deeper life of this church and the deeper experience within this community. There is what happens here. But what really makes the community solid is the relationships that take place between the people in it. This was true about doctors too. Did they tend to feel a part of the community or did they tend to feel isolated by their work?
1: Isolated. Just the, just the evolution of, of medical care in this country contributes to isolation. When I was a kid, if I had a problem with an ear or a throat, I went to see an eye, ears, nose, and throat. E-E-N-T. Anybody remember that? Doctor. That's who I went to see. If my family doctor couldn't handle it. Well, today, I still have problems with my ears and with my eyes. My eye doctor only does glaucoma.
0: Hmm.
1: That's all he treats. Well that fragments, it separates, it isolates. Some doctors never go to the hospital anymore. Some doctors never get out in the community anymore. It's fragmented, it's isolated. So relationships and collegiality turn out to be an important part of physician well-being as well. We talked about spirituality, collegiality, and relationships are, are important to it as well.
0: Okay, so let's let's go forward from that work you did with doctors and let's go to uh, what you've gotten involved with now, and and so the, the, the mission of Advent Health is continuing the healing ministry of Christ, which of course Jesus healed physical realities, but the work of Him was the work of Jesus was so much more than just a narrow healing. Oh, you have uh, well, you're blind. That's pretty dramatic. I, I, I heal your blindness, but but Jesus was always addressing more than that and always going for more than that. He understood the full reality of people, of the people who came in need, and often the relationship between the emotional, the spiritual, the mental with what was presenting physically. You've recently gone into a new role. Tell us about that new role and how that relates to the larger purpose of healing as opposed to just narrowly the medical side how are you bringing the spiritual into it as well? So, so,
1: we have a department of mission and ministry at Advent Health that, that deals with anything to do with, with mission and ministry in our company. It's our chaplains, but it's not limited to our chaplains. Um, it is the work with physicians that still goes on. Um, it is Creation Life. We've recently changed the name from Creation Health to Creation Life, so it's a lot of things but one thing that uh, has just emerged in the last few years I want to tell you about and if you will put up the first slide the gentleman on the left of that slide is Dr. Harold Koenig Dr. Koenig is a family physician also boarded in psychiatry and geriatric psychiatry he's practiced at Duke University for the past 25 years and while he continues to see patients uh, about one day a week his passion and the majority of his work over the past 25 years has been to do research and more importantly compile the existing research on the relationship between religion and medicine, between spirituality and health. He's published over 40 books, his major book is uh, about 800 pages long and has over a thousand references. You'll probably want to get that. Yeah, yeah there you go. The uh, you can get it. It's on Amazon for $250. 250 What If you a just have to have one, <laughs> there you go. Um, but but Dr. Koenig um, has published all this material and as he said to me, uh, although the relationship between health and and religion is pretty compelling on a research basis. He said, I've not been very successful getting doctors to incorporate spirituality into their practices. So next slide. So he called me one afternoon, September afternoon in 2013 and said, would Adventist health system, Advent health today, be willing to collaborate with me on a study to see if we can change doctors' attitudes and practices regarding addressing spirituality in their workup of patients. Well, we agreed to do that. And frankly, I did not have high hopes. Honestly, I didn't. I thought maybe we could get 30 or 40, maybe 50 doctors to participate in this study. He said, oh no, we've got to have 200. And then we took it to the IRB and and they said well, if you're going to end up with 200 you better sign up 300. <laughs> and by now I'm just kind of right. And and so we started enrolling doctors with no incentive, either positive incentive or negative incentive. We started calling the doctors and saying, "Would you be part of a year-long study to start asking patients three little questions about spirituality?" by the time we finished enrolling doctors seven months later five hundred and forty doctors had signed Mm -hmm. up I'll never forget the day that they told me that final number it was like chills just up and down my spine so we did have some attrition but only half what the IRB told us to expect we finished that study with four hundred and fifty doctors 4 peer-reviewed Academic papers were published in the medical literature as a result. And as a result, we had the opportunity to open the doors to wider acceptance of spiritual assessment in the outpatient setting. You want to keep going? Yeah, keep going. Go go on to your next slide
0: because this is an interesting point. You know, there's the there's the controlled environment of the hospital, and you bring someone in there, and we got them. They're trapped. We can assign a, a, a chaplain, and he can come in there and address it. You know, we have this tendency to compartmentalize ourselves, right? Oh, this is the medical person. This is this person. This is let's send that chaplain in there. But the outpatient setting is different. So, so what happened with this? So, next
1: slide. Um, every day of the week. Around our company, about 1,000 ed- patients are admitted every day. As you know, illness and injury do not recognize sundown to sundown. People get hurt and people get sick and whatever, so it's about 1,000 patients a day coming to our hospital setting. During the week when our physician's offices are open, we're, we're experiencing 20,000 touches of patients, 20, 20 to 1 so ninety-five percent of our patient contacts are outpatient so when Dr. Koenig asked us about this study we decided to trial it in the outpatient setting where we did not have chaplains where we had no experience using a screening spiritual assessment and and I, I told you the results of that they were just remarkable it demonstrated the main finding of the study was we didn't get that many doctors to change their attitudes about spirituality, but we got a lot of doctors to change their practices, incorporating a screening spiritual assessment into their practice of medicine. So it told me that I had vastly underestimated the willingness of doctors to actually do this, that they were just waiting for permission and support and resources and and they welcomed it into their practice so what happened so next slide our our senior executive administration at Advent Health said you know we need to expand this program we need to take it to the outpatient setting in a big way we didn't use the same questions that we used in the research study we decided we're gonna think about that a little bit and pray about that a little bit. And one day, uh, Elder Jay Perez, many of you know Jay, he's a member of the church here, teaching came in… A, teaching a Sabbath school class right, over there right now. Right, teaching a Sabbath school. Yeah. Came in and said, you know what, I, I couldn't sleep last night. And it just came to me that, that what we're really trying to assess is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. So we started thinking about how we could craft meaningful questions around love, joy, peace. So the first one that we're using today, do you have someone who loves and cares for you? Turns out that's a pretty good clinical question as well, because patients who have no one to love and care for them are less likely to be able to get their medications when they need them, less likely to be able to get to the doctor, more likely to show up in the emergency department, more likely to be readmitted to the hospital. So that's a a good question. second question is, do you have a source of joy in your life? And the third is, do you have a sense of peace today? After all, you are in the doctor's office. For something, do you have a sense of peace? So, if, when a patient checks no to any one or combination of those questions or I'm just not sure, the provider can address that with the patient. Whether or not the provider addresses that, we have set up a referral system so that the doctor can refer that patient to our call center and so they send a referral just like they would to an orthopedist or a neurosurgeon they send a referral we call those patients back so we are now we've been at this a year started in May of last year and we have received right at 12,000 referrals to our call center we're now receiving eighty a day eighty
0: a day referrals so we call those patients back and just think about that That's 80 people each day that are going in somewhere who have a physical issue, but they also have a spiritual issue or an emotional issue as well, that before was not getting addressed at all. And if if we really do believe what we say we believe, that all of these things are tied together, which the research shows that, that our physical health is related to these other issues, it's unbelievably irresponsible of us to have not always done this, really. But isn't it amazing that now that many folks every day have the opportunity to get that additional help that they need? Do you have any good stories that go along with that? I'll tell you one from yesterday. I, I was
1: talking with one of the folk who makes the phone calls back to the patients. And she said, you know, just this week I, I called a, a woman who was at home and she said, I'm homebound. I, I can't get out to church and she said you have brought church to me you brought church to me and and I thought Pastor Jeff what
0: if we could bring church to church Isn't that provocative I mean think about that for just a second I want you to think about those questions that are up there When you read those, didn't it cause you to be reflective in your heart for just a second in your own life? You think about you go into a doctor's office and you have a certain expectation of what's going to happen there, and you're not thinking about that. But as you go down the list of checking off every imaginable thing you ever had at any point in your life, you stumble upon a question that asks you, do you have someone who loves and cares for you? That kind of puts you immediately in another context, doesn't it? And a question, do you have a source of joy in your life? Do you have a sense of peace? It brings to the experience everything that could be contributing to the experience. Now, bringing church to church. In the same way, we kind of come here with an expectation, don't we? And often that expectation is tied to to looking good and appearing pretty solid. But I want to see the hands of everybody here today that's never had a crisis in their life that they needed help with. Okay, good. Nobody's lying. (laughs) We all have them. Yet how often have we, because we haven't perceived these kinds of deeper issues as being what church was for, missed out on this opportunity. Uh, We say the words, these are the people I love. If these are the people I love, wouldn't we want you to feel as though I have people that love and care for me? Wouldn't we want this community to be a source of joy in each other's lives? Mm. Wouldn't we want this to be a place of peace in the midst of a life of turmoil and craziness? I mean, is that not like ideal? Bringing church to church. Interesting concept, you'll have to help us with this.
1: <laughs> We're just learning. It, it's been, I don't know how to tell you uh, other than to say, it's just been miraculous. Just miraculous, far, far beyond my own expectations. Not beyond my hopes, but certainly beyond my expectations. God, God is at work in this, and um, and people have responded they even respond I, I just learned this yesterday too i was talking with one uh, with a nurse practitioner who works in one of our specialty outpatient practices and she said you know i've not referred many people but the people that i have and she asked everyone the questions they love being asked the questions interesting they love being asked the questions and and they'll say <laughs> I've never had an experience like this before and, and they appreciate it we've had one or two that that say you know I'm not a believer and I don't I don't want this in my life I, but but we have screened since last May over 3 million patients in our outpatient practices and so one or two is is not a bad not
0: too bad and it's not too bad not too bad so So one of the things I want to do going forward from this and from from what uh, Ted has said to us here, I want to give you permission for something because maybe you don't know you have permission to do this. But I want to give you permission to actually show love to one another within the church. And That sounds a little silly, I know. But sometimes we get it in our heads that there's a certain behavior, there's a certain propriety, oh well I don't really know that person very well. I want to give you permission to smile at anyone who comes in here without any provocation at all. (laughs) And without any confidence that they even want you to smile at them. Because anybody that comes here, they're here, it's their own fault, alright? I want to give you permission to smile and be kind. I want to give you permission to hold the door. I want to give you permission To say something spiritual to another person. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to. We're a church. (laughs) Who are we afraid we're going to offend? Maybe a God is good every now and then. A word that would cause someone to feel as though they were loved and cared for a word that could be a source of joy in someone's life a word that could bring peace to a troubled heart because I know I know enough of you well enough to know that your hearts long for good and for love and for joy and for peace within the community but yet a lot of you're like me you're introverted you're not sure you don't want to but we're here in this place. What a waste, right? If, if you could get a better spiritual encounter at the doctor's office than you would get in the church. It's not going to happen automatically, at least not yet. But if we'll be just a little bit intentional, it can happen. But, but what really is the best setting for this? I'm going to give you a chance to talk about your class again. Go ahead. <laughs> Sabbath School is a really good place uh,
1: because you get to know each other over over years. And, and so we, as many classes do, we ask for prayer requests and praise reports each week. We know what's going on in each other's lives. We know um, who's, who's got a child that's having difficulty. We know who's got a parent that is ill. We, we know. And, and so it gives us the chance in a safe place
0: to love each other. There's always the exception. There's always the exceptional story. But I will tell you that it's been my experience since I've been here and the rest of the staff's experience that whenever we encounter someone who says the church feels cold, I can't find any relationships, when we probe a little further almost without exception, it's a person who's never been a part of a Sabbath school class, a person who's never been a part of a ministry, a person who's never participated in anything in the life of the church. Those are the ones that most often will say it's cold. But a person who does participate in those ministries, again, there's some exceptions, but the vast majority of them will say this is the most wonderful place filled with loving people who are so kind. So it doesn't matter if it's house of prayer, if it's a Sabbath school class, if it's quilting ministry, if it's participating in youth ministry, if you're one of the 120 plus volunteers in children's Sabbath school ministries. If you invest yourself, your entire experience is transformed because you find that community where the people ask you those questions. So so maybe one step we can take going forward is to encourage one another to be involved in these kinds of things, to participate. And, and so we need to wrap it up. And I appreciate uh, Dr. Hamilton being with us today and sharing uh, some of his experience and, and what he's learned. But as we close, I, I want to do the two things. One is to give you permission to be loving, to be that loving person. The second one is, I want to pray a special prayer as we close this part today. We're going to sing a hymn about being united together. But I want to pray a prayer for you, particularly today, if you don't feel like there's someone in your life that loves you and cares for you. If you don't feel like you have a source of joy right now. And if you don't feel at peace today. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. You know who you are, where you are. But I want to pray that prayer. And while I'm praying that prayer, I want to ask everybody else that's here today who does have those experiences, the people that love and care, source of joy, and a sense of peace, that you'll be praying in your heart today with me as I pray for your brothers and sisters, whoever they are today, that have this need. So let's let's pray together. Father in heaven, right now, we want to lift up those in this place who feel alone, who don't feel there is someone who loves and cares for them, who don't have a source of joy. Everything looks dark right now. And who come in here today very troubled. Lord, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, those are the first three you listed. Lord, we pray that for everyone. We pray that your Holy Spirit will come today and that, and that before any of us who feel that way leave this place, we would have an encounter that would give us hope. Whether we're ready today to completely feel joy or, or even find peace, that there would be at least one encounter before we go out from here that would cause us to have hope. Lord, these are your people, the ones you have chosen, who have put their faith in Jesus. You have sent your Holy Spirit and you have filled us. Now let us know that we have permission to allow the love and the joy and the peace to overflow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.